0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: It is the weekend of Neil Atkinson, John Milburn, Adam Media and Lizzie Doyle. To talk about a variety of things, we're going to have a chat about contract situations. We're going to have a chat about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. We're also going to talk about Peter Moore's recent comments to a business magazine, which I thought were fascinating. Coming up, I've got James Tozer. We've got a football flash quiz, which we're made up to have. I've got James Tozer from The Economist talking about a piece he's written this week compared to managers... Average performance. I've got Josh Sexton and Glenn Price, one for the future, having a chat about our young players. Jordan Janet Bryan about the football fans podcast. It's everything you need. It's the weekender. But we are going to start off having a conversation that we often have in September. As Amelia, we always end up doing the should you or shouldn't you take the League Cup seriously thing? Should you or shouldn't you take the FA Cup seriously thing? And we always have that normally in September and occasionally at the start of January. This is the weekend where we get to. We think that the football club gets to feel the benefit of it. Are you feeling the benefit of it on a personal level? Are you think the club's going to feel the benefit of it, of it on a collective level?
2: Yes, definitely uh, to, to to both. I'm uh, to be honest, I'm I'm always. I guess I'm one of those people that, that uh, in in where we are and where we've been recently. I'm always one of those people that's all right with it anyway. I think there's like you need some sort of stingometer system to see how much it stings at the time getting knocked out of the cups. I mean, basically, I think that like for me, it. it Getting knocked out of the league title races re- really stings because you've got to keep going and it's a real pain. <laughs> if there's nothing, if there's nothing to play for and you've got nothing else to play for, especially um, getting knocked out of the Champions League, especially if you have got out of the group, stings. Getting knocked out of the FA Cup stings a bit. There's, a, there's, a, there's about there's probably a, about twenty four hours sting, and the League Cup stings for about two hours, um, depending on when you have got knocked out. Like, and I think I think that the Certainly, that though that that is a sting worth taking to be in the situation it's where you we get are knocked out too it, it, It's sort of and, and and whereabouts like like I think if you're gonna get knocked out, then out of the FA Cup in the League Cup, then get knocked out as we did straight away. Um, so you know we've we, we 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 didn't we had very unlucky draws. If 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 you're talking, you know, literally, we had we had really probably the toughest draws. Except for except for Wolves and Chelsea, who also have also had the toughest draws getting us. Yeah. Um, so you know, I I, I think that the where we are, the the, so the contrary point is, I guess what I always say where we do sort of league preview see pre preview shows about about the, what what we want from the, the upcoming season. I just want us to improve, and I think the best teams end up winning all of these things, don't they? But so. You know, City are going to win the League Cup probably, and you know, they've just won the league. And And they won the League Cup last year. And they won the League Cup last year, and they won the league. So I think I think there will there will come a point where we will necessarily need to be winning these things. So we're just, I think, not we'll need to be, but we will be, because the idea is you keep getting better. Um, but I think that we and are... And you don't get the draws that we got. Oh, yeah, and you don't get the draws that we got. But I think, you know, if we do keep improving, we are going to win these things. But I don't think that we should be prioritising them at the
1: moment because of some sort of we-have-to-win-a-trophy nonsense. Um, it is it is sort of the way in which it progresses Lizzie and the way in which it, I think the feelings part is important to this and I think that for, you know, from a supporters point of view we get to talk about that managers have to target things they have to be sensible they have to make make difficult decisions but we do get, do get to talk about what it feels like and as I say right now and it, there'll be some people who won't like it there'll be some people who find it hard there'll be some people who'll be a bit bored this weekend trying to watch a fourth round game but right now for me it actually just feels pretty good
3: It feels sad and <laughs> to me it, it really does feel okay and I think it literally is to do with the situation that we're in, and you know we're four points clear at the top of the league, which we we all didn't think we would be in January. And but look at the injuries that we've been we've been handed as well. And I think I'm all for the the magic of the FA Cup, but to what extent? You know, do we stay in one extra round, get another couple of injuries to add on top of the ones that we've got, which then could hamper our chances? Maybe get in the a league? replay. Yeah, oh, the re- replay is the worst thing. Um, and this- <laughs> It was
1: a bad last five, being in the ground in wolves, you know. <laughs> you don't want a replay, oh, honestly, do
3: you <laughs> no. And and it, Getting it knocked feels out in the fourth awful round. to say it. Yeah. It feels so bad to say it because I love the FA Cup, and I really enjoyed, um, you know, the, the League Cup when, when we've when we've got to the final. I really enjoyed it because it's early on in the season, and it feels like it's great if you win a trophy by February Isn't that lovely? What a great day off for us all. Um, but. To where I am now, I'm actually really relaxed about
1: it. I think, John, and I think this is the trick that we've pulled now on Manchester City. I think the most any team can ask for now is to be in contention of winning a major honour at the end of April. And I'll allow, for instance, I'll allow, I'll give it the big one. ACO allows the idea of the FA Cup is a major honour if if you combine it with top four. So to win the league... To be in contention to win the league, to be in contention to win the Champions League and to be pretty convinced you're going to come top four and be in contention to win the FA Cup. That's the definition of a good season. Even if you don't go on and win any of those, but you still qualify for the Champions League next season. I think for us, that's a good season. I think for the five other sides, and I include Manchester City, who are currently in the top six, we've got to say now, that's a good season. Because Manchester City could win nothing other than the League Cup this campaign, but they'll still have challenged and they'll still be in the hunt for major honors at the end of April. That's all we can ask, isn't it, as a football club
4: now? yeah you, you you invest in your club all your emotions and a fairly significant amount of money and if you're out of all meaningful competitions by end of march and you go in and you know there's a title race going on elsewhere and there's Champions League semi-finals and FA Cup semi-finals happening elsewhere and you're not part of that conversation the, the, you, have a, you just have a series of dead rubbers, and potentially, potentially, you. You remember we used to get all excited about the race to be in. Could we, we might still have to have to fight to be in the top four? All those type of. You you create your own mini competition of sorts that you maybe going for third rather than fourth because previously that meant you didn't have to play the qualifier.
1: So a good season is feeling like it's a real thing.
4: Yeah, we we are now in right now today in the middle of. Real serious football business, i.e. leading from the front in the league with a a challenger but sensible draw in the Champions League. Liverpool can win on both fronts. I'm absolutely convinced we can win on both fronts. We
2: can, and even if we don't, you know, the measure of progress, I think we've still... You can say now we're going to finish first or second,
4: so, so it, it you, looks
2: like. So it, that we, we've progressed, haven't we? And I think that's, you know, compared when you say about the FA Cup, Neil, last time we won the FA Cup, we finished second and we we didn't sort of scrape fourth or was it third at the time, fourth. Um, you know, we, we finished second and that was, that was a, a massive step forward season, mainly, you know, at least half because we finished second.
4: Yeah, I, I think with... You, where does the pressure come from? It's the, it's the pressure we have ourselves because we crave the success. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, if we fall short, is it is it Everton Twitter that we're that we're afraid of? Do you know what I mean if taking shit from those villains? They've they've won absolutely nothing in most most. Uh, Lizzie, in your lifetime, have you seen them win anything?
3: Absolutely nothing. I was so say, Matt was I talk think about even that. when I was born, actually no, they, they, they just. They won a year, something a year after I was born okay. so in. The, f-
2: the fourth round exit of the FA Cup is very Everton behaviour, by the way, I was going to say that
4: before. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so I think we've got Manchester City running scared, Manchester United running scared. They're all absolutely terrified because Liverpool are now back is a very, very serious football team. And it might well lead to a double win. It might lead to us winning nothing. But what won't happen is Liverpool won't end this season not being considered a very serious football team this season and an incredibly serious football team well, next season.
2: What, what I think what we're afraid of, what I'm afraid of, isn't Everton Twitter so much as the project falling off you know, fall, yeah. falling off the rails, which is what's happened when we've missed out the last couple of times. When everyone, everyone those seasons said, you know, it's not now or never. You know, we're still moving in the right direction. And, and there's something about that just missing out. We could, if, if we just sort of cruised along and City win every, every game and we, we don't quite manage it kind of thing. And, and you, you, you think, all right. But if, if there's some sort of disastrous heartbreak, you know, and then, and then next season isn't quite as good, that's where you can, that, that's what I'm afraid of.
4: I, I had, I had a moment of that in the summer where I thought we've been here so many times before, so you're near but yet so far, and then the subsequent seasons have been disappointing by and large. Each time we've gone close, it feels like we've broken that hoodoo actually, and, and the, the 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 disappointment of Kiev has almost fueled this team rather than set it back. And I'm and I and I I'd like to think the boom and bust Liverpool <laughs> days are gone. And actually, the whole organisation is structured in such a way where we, we we've we've kicked on since last season dramatically.
1: Johnny Melbourne has put an end to boom and bust, Lizzie Doyle. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the contracts in the, con- in the in the context of what Johnny said, though. You know, it's worth pointing out that in the last in the last calendar year um, now um, that we've seen. You know, this week it's Alexander Arnold to Robertson. You've also seen uh, Van Dijk sign. Uh, plus, you've seen Henderson sign a new contract, Salah sign a new contract, Mane, Firmino. There'll be other lads I've forgotten. Uh, Gomez, Gomez uh, going right the way through this. That's the, the one thing I think is that these are footballers who can see their at least medium term futures. I don't think you can ever ask for more than that these days. But they can at least see their medium term futures with with Liverpool, and I think that's what Johnny's arguing there.
3: Yeah, I was just about to say like the yeah. the difference with with sort of coming short in the league this year. Um, you know, it we I remember you saying at the the start of the season, Neil, we could potentially be the, the team to finish second with the highest amount of points and that still very much could be a reality. But
1: we're very much on the curve for that one this year. You you know, it it, it. Oh, oh, it yeah. still
3: <laughs> is that is still a possibility, but um finishing second could be the difference, like Adam said, to to losing like a vital player and in the past we've seen it where we fell short and it's like they've, they've all just give up and gone right well that didn't happen I'm off like we've seen it plenty of times it doesn't feel the same with this side and and this is what I was thinking to do with the contracts there's there's a psychological boost to to having your players coming out one after the other signing these contracts like you say committing you've got to say you know, mid to long. To, it, it's not really long term future because contracts don't mean anything. But what it is, it's just that little reassurance that, for the time being, this is where I want to be and this is where I want to stay.
1: This is why Europe matters. I think Adam. I think mm. this season we'd all. You know, there's there's one of all of us. Certainly, all of us who are your your age, my age, Johnny's age. We'd all. um All
4: the youngsters. All the hip young things.
1: <laughs> We'd all, in many senses, you know, if you said to us, you're going to go out against Bayern Munich, uh, but it means that you're going to kick on and you're going to take maximum points from that stage without the distraction, maximum points from that stage. We'd all go great Good. and then go from there. Mm-hmm. But there is a thing, I think, where these footballers, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino in particular, they want to feel, I think, like they can win the European Cup playing for Liverpool. And I think that while we'll be thinking, there's this other stuff and they'll be, that is desperate, more desperate than we are, which is mad, but maybe even true. But the, there's that thing there to win that thing, they know that what it means to the club, but they themselves, if they want to reach the pinnacle of their careers, it's winning the big one. Of course, yeah. And you know, that's that I I've thought that in the past when
2: we've kind of even just go back as far as Athens kind of thing, but it's 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 that that thing of being in Champions League finals. Does mean that that that's the it's it's the big the, the the massive ticket item you know it's almost like you see European cups in players' eyes when you, when you try and enter back into the transfer window, and absolutely in terms of tie, t- tying players down you know what do they want they 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 why do they sign for us they they like Klopp. The you know they like the the whatever this mythical idea of, uh, of of Liverpool is to them, and they 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 want to win things, don't they? they? They they and and they feel like that that's a this is a project which seems quite secure and moving in the direction that will end up with them winning things, I and think, that's so the one that they that's the one they want the most.
3: Finishing second is so different to to being the runner up as well. Like you yeah. just said, the the eyes on the prize, the it's the it's the big show. It's where everyone it's the world's biggest stage. It's yeah. football's biggest stage, Champions League, and when you've got there and you, you've witnessed the thrill and the excitement because the Champions League is so amazing because of the moments that it gives and I think we know that more than any football club and to finish second, you know, it's hard work and endurance and it's pain and it's injuries and it's yeah. to then fall short must be so much harder to take as a footballer I, than coming just short of a final where we didn't think we'd get in the first
2: it's, place. It's an interesting one actually because I was thinking, I might have even said this on a show anyway, but I think, I think losing a, a, a Champions League final's better than a League Cup win definitely and probably better than an FA Cup win no doubt no doubt, because of because of what it means to have got there. What it means to have got there is 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 it. It, it just feels, you know, the moments that you get getting to a Champions League final. I think it feels like after we, football. We've never sport. got
1: to a Champions League final in a boring way, have we? No, but you no know, one does. The, the, you can't. It's it's too it's too massive. Real Madrid. Real, Real, I watched Real Madrid semi-final win last season over Bayern Me Munich, too, yeah. and it was, it was awful, <laughs> But it was a huge game of football. It was a and huge end game to end of football. It was hugely dramatic, and everyone comes off that pitch knowing that they've that they've been part of something, yeah. and that's. So that's not us. That's not romanticising us. That's romanticising the competition, Johnny, and that's why that's what it is for footballers.
4: Uh, I, I, absolutely. If you if you I don't know. Let's say your Timo Werner or your another player that may may or may not be interested in Killing Mbappe. Yeah, you, know, you might might be looking at his next club this summer, and you you're looking at the runners and riders, and you're looking at a team like Liverpool, and you're saying, well, okay, they are breaking all kinds of records in their own domestic league and it's plausible that they can win the league this season or if they come second, they'll have run that race harder than anybody else. They they lost the Champions League final with some erratic goalkeeping, let's let's call it that. And they've addressed that problem in the most emphatic way that they possibly could. So it's absolutely plausible that Liverpool will go deep in this competition. Not just this season, but next season and possibly the season after as well. And I think that succession planning or that um that that seriousness of enterprise is the type of thing that serious footballers will look at rather than or they won the League Cup, or they've won their own domestic cup, uh, but but fell away dramatically in the league.
1: Seriousness of enterprise is very, very important. We're going to come on, we're going to talk about that. Jordan, Janet Bryant to come. uh, One for the future, talking about our exciting young prospects to come. James Tozer, The Economist, after the football flash quiz. I'm joined with Jonathan Sleep, who's entering our Football Flash quiz of the week to win. A much covered to Danfield, a piece of merchandise, you can buy them whenever you want. And you should also download Football Flash, the app, which lets you know exactly what's going on with Liverpool if you want. And then you can pick other teams as well. I mean, I would like to think you'd pick Liverpool, but it might be that like you feel on top of it. But as I always say on this, I use it to be very much on top of Stoke, as I'm active in Stoke Twitter. and uh, love to know what's happening. So I'm joined by Jonathan. Jonathan, you're in the United States. That's put up postage costs up if you win. Yes, I am. Well, let's hope that you don't win, because the last thing we want to be doing is doing transatlantic post for a competition winner. You know what I mean? Let's, I'm going to back <laughs> against you, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, know it's, I know it's going to be a little, little, little pricey. It can, it can be a little pricey, indeed. Um, in general, how are you feeling about no FA Cup game for Liverpool this weekend before I ask you the questions? You know, it's it almost feels nice in a way, doesn't it, to have a week off?
5: Yeah, it, it, does, it feels uh, like I don't know what I'm going to do with my weekend, though. How
6: many the, Feels a bit empty.
1: How many of the games in the states do you get to watch from the FA Cup? I know you've got like almost any Premier League game you want to watch, but is it the same for the FA Cup games?
6: Yeah, it's on a different streaming service, but I—I I mean, we can watch uh, every single uh, Premier League game. I mean, an FA Cup game.
1: Really? So you can watch like the sixteen yeah. of them across the course of the weekend, and you can choose whenever there's any timing clashes, you can choose whichever one you want.
5: Yes. Yes, I can.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, that's worth bearing in mind. Um and explains if I think or two. Anyway, let's move forward and ask you the questions. Number one. Remember you need to get eight of these. Um number one, Liverpool's under eighteens beat which Lancashire team four nil on Monday night? Uh the Norwich? No, actually I d I don't know the answer to that. One. I, I think Lizzie's used Lancashire as though it's gonna help. In this instance, like she's presumed, because it's not me who's written these questions, not that I'm hanging Lizzie out to dry, but she's probably presumed <laughs> that you'll have a knowledge of what is or isn't in Lancashire. Um, and that's really tricky. So you, I'll give you another guess, but it's not Norwich. They're in East Anglia. They almost couldn't be further away. Oh. John Coleman. Who mm. manages them. Uh, you, you them? John Coleman. Oh. I, I I don't know. It's Accrington Stanley. Um, and li- yeah, and if you listen to the Friday show, um, they were, I've gotten into with an Accrington Stanley supporter. It's really good. Uh, next one then. Liverpool are, I suppose, they made contact with Brescia over one of their youngsters. In which country do Brescia play their football? Uh, Serie B. Yeah, Italy. That'll do me. Excellent. One out of two. Uh, which Liverpool midfielder is set to come back from injury against Leicester on Wednesday night? Probably plays right back for this game. Uh, Fabinho. Excellent. Two out of three. Um, which, the day we recording this, which former Liverpool strikers' birthday is today? Oh, is still active, still is playing. Rush? No, he's still active. He's still oh, playing. Still, put- still playing. Left the club in the summer of 2014. Uh, Suarez. That's the one. Excellent. stuff. three out of four. Which midfielder unexpectedly joined Liverpool for warm weather training? Full warm weather training in Dubai this week uh Oxlade- Chamberlain. Excellent stuff 4 out of 5. Chelsea signed Gonzalo Higuaín on loan from which Italian side? Uh on loan from Juventus. No, he's at AC Milan now. Um so he's well, He was on, he
5: was on loan to Milan from Juventus. Really?
1: Yeah. Oh my well I like the students' inquiry on this. We'll we'll keep moving forward and I'll come back to that. <laughs> uh <laughs> Let me just sort of work that out. Uh, It's mad registrations in Italy, isn't it? Let me (laughs) me look into this and come back to you in a second. Um, Next one is, and this is hard. uh, I didn't know this until I literally read it now. Uh, Middlesbrough have just signed which former Chelsea midfielder? I know,
5: actually...
6: Ooh, that is... Hmm... Think. I can't, I cannot think. Oh no! I didn't know
1: Does this. No, no, actually, Cole. I, no. Well, I'm gonna. That, I, the, I just keep your pile to dry. That's the next question. Um, it's not. Right. It's not Ashley Cole. Okay, I didn't know this. So this is really hard. Uh, They'll just sign John Obi McKell, Middlesbrough. Oh. Uh. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Uh. You're right on Gonzalo Higuain. So you're still in the game. You've got two wrong. You need to get the next three right. Uh. So all which right. former England fullback has just moved to Derby County? Actually, cool Excellent stuff. We're on the march. Uh, which Spanish team is top of the Deloitte table of richest clubs in the world? Uh, Real Madrid. Excellent stuff. Once again, and you've got eight out of ten. Uh, which Tottenham midfielder has left in this transfer window to go and play some football in China? Um, yeah, uh, Dembele. Musa Dembele. Eight out of ten, and that that secures you the piece of merchandise. What size are you? You don't have to tell me. Uh, Extra large. Extra large, that's fine. So my mate, I went clothes shopping last night. It was it was a stark realisation for many of us. Uh, anyway, uh, Jonathan, congratulations. If you speak to Lizzie, we'll sort all the bits and bobs out. It's been your football flash call. See you in a bit. Joined by James Tozer of The Economist, who had an, an interesting, fascinating little piece this week, uh, which revolved around the idea that if FIFA and FIFA the way FIFA respects footballers the way it rates footballers if all of that happens and then you play seasons over and over and over and over again there's actually a really strong correlation between the way in which that ends up and the way where the the league tables end up year in year out and then the next step of that is to therefore sort of ask the questions as to what managers are doing and whether or not players are indeed more important than managers it's the sort of thing we talk about a fair bit at the Anfield Wrap so I've got James uh, in to have a little chat about it and I think it's it's a fascinating study and it it correlates with a few of my things. Should we start off slaughtering Carlo Ancelotti? Uh that sure. according to your study he's or the study that you're citing, he's doing nowhere near well enough in the league.
6: Sure. So um Ancelotti's quite an interesting one actually because he's he's most famous, right, for winning the Champions League three times. Uh twice with Milan and then he won uh Real Madrid Real Madrid's tenth title. And uh, it's a funny thing, actually, something that we saw time and time again is that managers who win the Champions League, obviously they, they gain an enormous amount of respect uh, and it bolsters their CV quite a lot. But sometimes they don't perform necessarily as well in the league. And if you look at Ancelotti, whichever way you measure it, his performance in the league has been pretty poor. And this is something that's sort of been picked up by football analysts before, actually. If you look at just just the wealth of the clubs that he manages, because he's almost always given the best club, In the league that he manages so when he had Milan he had both the wealthiest club and the richest club in his league and I think he only won one uh, league title there and at least in the sample we had which was 2004 up to the present day Uh, he didn't win the title I don't believe with Real Madrid he won one title with Chelsea Um, but he's only won in our in our sample in our 15-year sample he'd only won three league titles He's almost always given the richest club in the league. And when we were looking at FIFA ratings as well, FIFA player ratings, which is what we use as a benchmark of skill, uh, you know, he was often given the the best team or the the highest rated team. And uh, and so there was this interesting tension here that everyone thinks of him as this extraordinary manager because he's won football's biggest prize three times. You know, no manager has won it more often than that, um, at least in the modern era. And so, what we try to unpick a little bit. One of the one of the problems we face is that it's very difficult to to model performance in in something like the Champions League because you have so many teams from different leagues, yeah. uh, and it's also highly random. Uh, you know, as, as anyone who watches the Champions League knows, you you don't. You know, teams get very different strength of draws, uh, and ultimately, you need to win the Champions League. You need to win four knockout matches to win to win a league title. You know, you've got to be consistent over 38. So we decided just to limit. Our sample to league games and it was very clear that, that Ancelotti's team in the league consistently underperforms whichever way you benchmark it relative to what you'd expect and there were a few managers actually the, the other interesting one, which I'm sure Liverpool fans would find interesting another manager who fell exactly into that category was was Rafa Benitez who obviously you know enormously respected for, for winning that Champions League title in 2005 and I think he was, he was at the helm when Liverpool got to the final again in 2007 wasn't he? Yeah um, but he's actually his teams have consistently struggled in the league. And you look at he keeps getting hired. Uh, you know he's been consistently hired by by big clubs, by Liverpool, Real Madrid, uh, Napoli. I think he had a spell at Inter as well, didn't he? Um, but his teams actually haven't done brilliantly in, in league play. And we used that because we only had league matches in our sample. We were using that as our benchmark of managers. But I do think I think I do think that's the right way to look at it because that is the vast majority of of the games that a manager plays, and I think it's less suspect to to randomness than, than is the Champions League. So yeah, I, I mean, Rafa and, and and Ancelotti are two, I think, yeah. you fall into that category. Clubs keep hiring them in the hope of winning European glory, but in fact, I would say that the majority of the evidence suggests that they keep getting good teams, but perhaps not getting the the outstanding league results that you'd, you'd hope for. One of my things, it's interesting you mentioned
1: Rafa, though, so for instance, it will be, You can argue when he takes, for instance, the Inter Milan job and significantly underperforms, but all of Inter Milan's almost the intangible energy, for instance, has gone into the previous season, that those players will still be highly rated, but they've almost gave everything because the season before they won the treble, they won the league, they won the cup, they won the... But we'll still rate them off the back of the previous season's performance and ability rather than sort of the the husks of men, for want of a dramatic phrase they end up being. And I'm just sort of pointing out that all the way through this. I was thinking, I actually had that one in mind as odd little anomalies around exhaustion, mental or physical.
6: Absolutely. And I think one of the, you know, as you say, there are every single manager who takes a job at any particular moment in time is subject to a whole load of sort of small variables that might make a difference. And it's almost impossible to pick those things up. You know, if you if you were doing this, if you had an infinite amount of time and data to do this, you would try and look at things like injuries, uh, like rest time. Like minutes played in previous season as an indicator of performance in next season, all those kind of things, and those were things that we wanted to get to. Uh, you know, and there are other things as well. You know, our, we used uh, the, the sole measure that we were using is is a single estimate of player skill. Of course, there are there are other things that come into it, like investment in the coaching staff, investment in yeah. the training ground. There are there are lots lot lots and lots of things that that you can't control for for any for any given job. What we hoped, and I think I think this is true, is that that the main aim of our study was not to try and work out who the very best managers are, or, or even in any particular job, who who outperformed. It was rather to try and get an overall estimate of how much impact they make. And I think, you know, in any given job, there might be there might be these small extra factors that that, that help or hinder you. But over the very large sample we're talking about, 1,500 manager tenures, Open they down should even leagues. out yes yeah up and up so across the five major yeah uh we looked we looked at the five the five big european leagues across 15 years so while these things might hinder or help any given manager at any given point in time but hopefully across that sample cool. they should even out and and if you look at Raffer, again you know obviously he struggled at inter but he didn't do brilliantly at, at rail um i think he did all right at um at napoli and did kind of okay at chelsea obviously won the europa league but, but he's not you know, there's enough evidence there that he's not he's certainly not outperformed, I would say, at most clubs relative to to the skill that he's had available to him. Think... To the exception, of course, of Istanbul. Oh, well,
1: I think though <laughs> that you mentioned the control and small variables. I think the most interesting thing that com- comes from the study is managers have been successful in one job and then the or what looks like the law of diminishing returns as they move from job to job. And what, what occurred to me about that was when you just said they're controlling small variables. Managers are able if if a manager's been successful at a club over oh, Over Any period that's say longer than six months, then they're, they're successful in a specific environment. So one of the things that occurred to me was if I was a manager, and I was reading your study, it is that sudden leap into a new environment with new variables with new cultures, that that what what made a manager successful in one job may not be something as simple as you know as simple as the the, the even their own personal approach, but that they've just clicked with the locale yeah. that they're in. That's worked for them, and then they get told they're a massive success. I can think of the Lord of diminishing returns of Sam Allardyce to some extent, where he's does brilliantly at Bolton, and then he goes to Newcastle and it and it just doesn't work at all because the fit's not right, the fit's not there. And I was thinking that that's one of the things that occurred to me reading the study.
6: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think, uh, look, one of the things about this study is that we're hoping to to take it further and improve. This is very much a sort of first first iteration, the, the first thing that we found. And, and we know from other sports, uh, the, the colleague that I worked on with this does a lot of work in American sports as well. That you know, that fit, managerial fit is, is an important thing. You know, that, that there are different cultures, different setups, different team styles, different player styles. Uh, you know, any fan knows this. It's obvious. It's trying to measure this stuff is difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely true that you know that certain manager profiles and, and certain team profiles seem to seem to go together nicely. I mean, the the, the actual you mentioned Sam Allardyce, the the, the really obvious example uh, in our study is David Moyes, um, yeah. who you know did brilliantly for, when when Man United hired him. Because one of the things our study does is, at any given point in time, it gives a manager a rating based on his previous performance, and we use that to project his future performance. When United hired him, he was pretty much the single biggest overperformer in in the world at the time, because you know he'd, taken, he'd consistently taken this this Everton side that you know had very scant resources and not brilliant players, and and you know was massively overachieving with them. And obviously, he he bombed out at United. And has consistently, sent, you know, in four jobs, he did he did okay at West Ham, but you know, got Sunderland relegated and and was a disaster at Sociedad. So that you know, that's a classic example of whatever seemed to work for him at Everton, and it it, it probably wasn't just luck. You know, there was something to sustain that for twelve years or however long he was there. Is you know, there's there's something that worked there, and it, and he wasn't able to to translate it. So so one of the things that I think we might try and do when we when we take the study forward. Is try and come up with a way of measuring managerial fit, whether that's in terms of a stylistic thing, whether they're they're more kind of you know defensive. You can you can imagine a sort of scale that exists of defensive to attack, where you know Simeone is at one end and yeah. um, I suspect someone like Sarri is at the other. Um, that might be something that we try and do. But but yeah, ultimately for any given man- I think any given manager could justifiably look at that and say, well, hang on, there was a lot of other stuff going on when I was there. That you know, simple FIFA ratings doesn't pick up, and I think I think that's true. It's just it's it's an attempt to co- to try and quantify how big the average effect of a manager is, rather than us sort of definitively saying, you know, it, it's 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 yeah. difficult to look at any given tenure and say this is exactly what went wrong or
1: what went right. I think well, I on that, what I think is really interesting and, and comes out of it is this gap between. So, for instance, that we well, well, we put this onus on the idea that managers are are there to help achieve greatness, and, and and obviously the very best managers manage amongst the best players. Not always the very best. Obviously Messi is the very best, and then there's everybody else. But and no. not everybody can not everybody can manage Messi. Um, but there is a there is a thing there which is to say, oh yes, but you know greatness comes, and a manager does that, and a manager can create the circumstance in a lot of different ways, and recruitment, and all that can be part of that. But there is something else, isn't there, James, which I think is in there that managers can cost. More points to the average than than than, than players or loss of players can as well, and on that, I just thought it was really interesting that we maybe. Maybe the aim of a manager is actually to broadly speaking get the average and maybe even a little bit above average out of a group of players, rather than either get the very best out of all of them or even the very best out of some of them. That the the best that a manager can sort of plausibly do is is just simply be get them to be a bit above average, and that that, that doesn't sound exciting. It's not it's not a battle cry. It's not something we'd all go to, the, to to the barricades for. But it maybe is the limit, and the and the aim is not to actively let them or make them be worse
6: yeah I think that's I think that's absolutely it I think look in the long term even even extraordinary managers go through peaks and troughs right and what what we're sort of saying is that is the very very best even the very best guys are only getting on average a little bit more than you know they're only making some of their parts a little bit better so you take someone like uh let's talk about Jürgen Klopp you know, obviously particularly relevant for this podcast. He's pretty much, he's one of the top four or five highest rated managers in our system. And, but, you know, at, at the same time, the difference that we're sort of making, we're saying, saying that the average difference he makes is about three points a season, which doesn't sound a lot, you know, you look at how Liverpool are playing now and you think, God, you know, hes they've improved so much, uh, you know, in such a short time, he must be adding, you know, 10, 15 points a season. But the point is that over the long term, someone like that, You know, you look at it. Look at you know his final season at Dortmund, where he he sort of had to, you know, he sort of said he would resign when they were bottom of the Bundesliga. The point is that at any given point in time, you know, you might have a period where you slump. You might have a period that overperform. It's that it's that over the long term, you can only get a little bit extra out of the players. And you know, sometimes for whatever reason it clicks and you get way more out of them. And sometimes for whatever reason, uh, you know, maybe it's injuries, maybe it's uh, a loss of form. Maybe there's a problem in the dressing room. Or whatever you dip under the average, so um, that that I think is the trouble that, that fans have. Actually, is that they because they're so used to these wild swings, they they find it very hard to accept that actually there's there's a less so um, there's a less interesting sort of middle ground, which is probably where the manager's actually at.
1: So let's use Ferguson as an example. He's a really good example, not least given the longevity. And there's a number of seasons where United and there's, there's actually a block of them which I'm still fa- I'm fascinated by Manchester United f- from the arrival of Abramovich through until 2009 because it's almost sure. as though Manchester United press a reset button somewhere in there they they decline a little bit comparatively to their previous performance and their current performance uh, their expected current performance and they almost press a reset button and take a step back and in those years for instance you you can argue that the league points total underperforms for Alex Ferguson but it may well be that firstly he's sort of planned for it because he's bringing through young players like Cristiano Ronaldo and living that little journey for a period of time and then as it climbs and as for instance Ronaldo improves and as he improves improves on, on the way in which FIFA rates him as well, as you go right the way through there, you then see so you don't see a sort of a, a huge, huge increase, but it's brilliant but it's been brilliant management and the reason why is because he's sort of took the breath, allowed the transition, and then as the team's grown and improved, he it's grown and improved with him, and then he's overachieved on that bar. Is that is that the way what your study would sort of show?
6: So I I'd have to look at that those few seasons specifically to see what was going on and, and how they did relative to, to because the other thing as well is because for each season, we've got a benchmark of how good we think the players are. So if, if he's bringing in younger, you know, players with less experience, that should be, that should be picked up. So actually what we'd expect him to get out of the team should decline a little bit. But um, yeah, I I think one of the interesting things and you know, you've mentioned it a little bit already is about the length of tenure and how long you have, to, to stay in a job and I think one of the things that was sort of unique about Ferguson and, and Wenger as well to an extent is that they were able to oversee various sort of cycles within the team you know yeah. I think most most fans of, of big teams at least sort of understand the idea that teams go through maybe three, four, five year cycles uh, yeah and it's not, it's not a hard and fast rule you know sometimes teams go for 15 years being brilliant and sometimes they go for 15 years being terrible but but it is quite a common phenomenon that a group of players come together, it clicks, they develop together, and then for whatever reason, you know, retirement or transfers or whatever, the team breaks up. And, uh, you know, Ferguson and Wenger, I mean, I know Wenger's career best. Wenger probably lived through, I'd say, three discrete cycles where, you know, a team, a team came together, it performed well it broke up and it started again. And I think what happens now is that manage, because, because managerial tenures are becoming so much shorter for various reasons, they're not getting, you know, managers aren't getting that same, uh, then they're, they're, they're just not getting the, the time to to live through those sort of cycles. And, you know, you could argue again, uh, you know, there's a point about whether, you know, managers stay in the door long enough to, to sort of pick up on the upswing of the cycle. Again, we've not looked at that. would be very interesting to look at, um, manager performance by by year within the tenure, whether you know, whether it's true that managers who stay for for two years consistently do better in the third than they do in the second, that would be really interesting to look at. We we haven't had a chance to. But um yeah, I, I think that I think there probably is something something to that, that, you know, if you if you barely get in the door for six months, you're not gonna have the chance to certainly in terms, you know, when it comes to recruitment, I know most clubs now recruitment is very much a team process that the manager has an input rather than deciding the overall policy. But, you know, it strikes me if you're, if you're constantly in and out the door, you, you perhaps have less chance to, to hit upon that magic fit. You know, the sort of thing we've talked about at, at Moy's having at Everton, you know, if, if, if you're barely there for for a couple of months, you're not, for whatever reason, you're, you're unlikely, I think to find that sort of, the sort of Goldilocks level of, you know, the players being quite right for you.
1: Okay, uh, great to Peter to James. I think we'll speak to him more in the future uh, about this sort of thing. Thank you very much indeed to him. Josh Sexton and Glenn Price with me to talk about Liverpool's young prospects. We do a show on Tour Player if you don't subscribe called One for the Future. Josh hosted it this week for the first time. And Josh, there's the three footballers that everybody's excited about at the minute. The whole premise to some extent of youth football is to find players for the first team and Liverpool may well be doing that quite successfully at the minute.
5: Yeah, I think all three are a good example as well of, of the sort of the strategy that that Klopp's been implementing at the club. They're all they're all sort of versatile it's obviously Keanu Hoover, Rafa Camacho and Curtis Jones. All seem to be able to play across several positions and all have that, that mentality to make the step up. I think you've seen it when, when, uh, when Keanu Hoover came on in the Wolves game, how much of a, how much of a step up he had to make so quickly and, and, it, and he seemed to do it sort of completely seamlessly. And then Curtis Jones, obviously somebody we were talking about in summer who, who we believed that, that had that mentality to succeed. And then Rafa Camacho makes a, makes a huge tackle against Palace at the weekend and, uh, and has contributed in other ways. Glenn, there's something in all three of them, which is that they look as
1: though the, at least right now and that's the important part in their careers they can be used in a number of different positions and I think that's what these footballers that Liverpool are producing are going to have to have the air of anyway if they're going to get chances around the first team set up they're going to have to be able to take those chances not just at the idea of well I play here they're going to have to be able to say no 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 I'll play anywhere you ask
7: Yeah I think there might be in a few years down the line there might be something called the Trent Alexander-Arnold theory with Liverpool's you know bright talent because Alexander-Arnold, what was a centre-mid, right winger, then gets all of a sudden shoved back into to right back. Um, <clears throat> we saw that with, we've seen that with Camacho, I think Adam Lewis is another one who's been earmarked as a left-back, a who's, who's now a left-back. It wasn't necessarily position, even further down in the under-18s at the moment, there's a player called Yasser LaRucci, who's normally like an out-and-out winger, but now he's being played as the first choice left back, and there's been one or two, uh, one or two teeth pains with that. But yeah, they can all play different positions. Um, all because when, when, when do youngsters get opportunities? You look at, you know, anybody's career, it always comes through injuries and, and a need. Um, and if you are a young player, one, you've got to be world class to play at Liverpool. I think that's pretty clear at the moment, especially to stay in there. But two, you've got to be versatile and be ready and ready and waiting for that opportunity.
1: They seem to have. Glenn's it's interesting he points the fullback thing out, Josh. You know they seem to have committed to the idea of putting a lot of the the best and brightest in at fullback, and that that tells you two things. Firstly, it tells you about the the idea of it feels like a position where you can blood people maybe with the, with the greatest ease playing for Liverpool. But secondly, also as part of the playing for Liverpool thing that you want technically gifted footballers at full back you know Liverpool are taking uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold they took the most technically gifted footballer from the age group for instance and made him into a right back because the way we play you've just got to watch Alexander-Arnold and Milner when he plays there and Robertson is that you know we use our full backs as, as playmakers so we need the best footballers that we can get there and so it's this double-edged sword that there's a lot of onus on the position but also it feels like a little bit of a free hit it's quite interesting
5: Yes yeah, it's, it's almost become a jumping off point for Liverpool now I, I saw, sort of remember uh, uh, Gary Neville was saying that people who are fullbacks are usually either failed centre half or failed wingers, but at Liverpool at the moment it feels as though they're players who perhaps aren't maybe cut out or, or can't compete with the sort of world class quality that we have at centre half and, and in the sort of four positions, but they can probably do a job further back. And, and, and Trent's obviously the, the sort of main one we've seen there, but like Glenn says, there's, there's some further down the academy who look like they could do a job, look like they've got the, the sort of attributes to, to play across a couple of positions, but fullback sort of being the main one. It, it feels like a position where, like you say, it's, it's, it's important to Klopp's system because obviously he likes his fullbacks to push up high but it's not necessarily the sort of most crucial in terms of well of will win and lose games it's To talk about these lads individually, which you did
1: in greater depth on the show, Josh, um, was obviously the one that's got the most excitement. And if anything, Jones is the one who's become the least fashionable despite having the excellent pre-season. But what's interesting, I'd say about Jones is, you know, to, to use Glenn's full-back theory where he got his opportunity and, and where he's currently being used. It is in midfield and there's no talk of moving him around. There's no talk of moving him back. That suggests to me Liverpool are very serious about Curtis Jones. I think he's, I think Liverpool really do can see a pathway for him next 12, 18 months getting 10-12 first team appearances
5: Yeah absolutely and I think Glenn mentions on the show as well that uh, he, in in the Wolves game he sort of played like an inside forward uh, coming in from from the left hand side role which is probably one he's not too familiar with but it's obviously a role that they, they sort of, because for the under 23 as well in recent games is, is he's playing much more of a sort of free role because he is there, he's the one who keeps all ticking over for them so it'd be interesting to see whether he could play a role for Liverpool like that sort of somewhere down the line but yeah like you say he's, he's definitely got a role to play in, in them forward areas coming forward now There's some
1: little bit of legacy management that almost, you know, we're doing so well at the minute, Glenn, and we gloss over, in many senses, how well we're doing. But there is a... I'm intrigued to see what happens with, for instance, purely hypothetically, Adam Lallana, and whether or not if Adam Lallana chose to leave Liverpool or if Liverpool chose to leave Adam Lallana, if the way in which they'd solve that problem would be Curtis Jones, or if the way they'd solve that problem would be to recruit. And I I suspect Liverpool themselves may not entirely already know the answer to that, and at times we presume football clubs have got it all worked out rightly or wrongly, if you know what I mean. But I think there is there's, there's 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 a couple of questions to sort of work out there as to what Liverpool want their seventh best midfield option to look like. Do they want it to look like Adam Lallana, or do they want it to look like Curtis Jones?
7: Yeah, you, you never know as well. And I think it's worth pointing out that this manager can be quite—I I touch on it in the show—but can be quite reluctant to throw young young kids in. I think he waits he waits absolutely ages to put Trent in uh, regularly. Um, Even there were calls for him to do that maybe six months in advance. Whereas with the midfield one, I think. Ben Woodburn. So when Coutinho leaves, Ben Woodburn's denied the chance to go out on loan on Sunderland. Uh, to Sunderland, Ben Woodburn doesn't feature at all, um, which sort of shows you, you know, the manager or the club in fact had an idea that he would perhaps you know be able to be used in an option there. But I just it's so, it's so different, and it's it's. It's so, is so it also, hard
1: Is well. it also To use the Woodburn thing. think Coutinho goes Let's use that As an example And what happens Is two things Happen simultaneously Liverpool progress In the Champions League And they progress All the way to the Final of the Champions League And what that leads to Though is that it means That they have to Sort of sacrifice A couple of league games And then you might say Well doesn't that mean That Woodburn gets his chance But actually what happens is Those league games Become games where Liverpool could just do With getting a result So there's You know if Liverpool Had, had gone out Hypothetically to Porto But got themselves Into a position Where they were all But guaranteed Champions League football Then there's actually more of a room to blood people than than and and that's exactly where we are now. You know, it's like we can again act like the seasons are all planned out, and I'll use Curtis Jones from February of 2019. But if you're Jurgen Klopp right now, you know, in the league, you've, you're deadly serious about every league game. You've got to be. You're trying to get 100 points, and
7: then you, you can fall in the trap. I'll go out on loan and get experience. But there is there is a loan trap. Um, yeah. I think one you might not get. um you might not get the opportunities like you think you would. I think Woodburn's a good example of that. But then, two, there's the, there's, well, you've done it at this level. Are you still, are can you do it at, where, at Liverpool level, which is, which is world class now? And I think, um, I Harry, we had an interesting conversation about Harry Wilson. I think it, it is going to be extremely interesting what does happen to Harry Wilson and, and, you know, what, what message that sends out to the academy if he doesn't, doesn't end up making it at Liverpool, but is sold for what, 20, 20 plus million?
5: Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that Neil about the about the teams that you you almost need to keep taking over and winning points because one of the strange things that I think happened in the Wolves game and, and like as Glenn says ever do go into more detail on, on the show is that Liverpool end up in a sort of strange halfway house where they're they're obviously trying to win the Wolves game to some extent while resting their main players so they've got you know, the players sort of senior players like Daniel Sturridge and and Jude who who will need the game time and need to get wins under their belt as well but then they're, they're also trying to blood in the youngsters within that so it, it almost ends up looking like a very disjointed team whereas the ideal scenario for the youngsters is is that there's just sort of one or two injuries and then and then they get to come in and have that chance among players like Virgil van Dijk and players like Um
1: want to uh, just end this by you mentioning that there's opportunities to watch Liverpool's under-18s and 23s at the minute Josh
5: yeah so the uh, the under-23s this, this will obviously be going out on, on Friday morning the under-23s will have, will have played uh, will have played Swansea in the Premier League International Cup last night um, the under-18s are playing at the academy on Saturday morning 11 o'clock against Manchester United in the in the Premier League Cup quarterfinals that'll be a great game everyone should get down and watch that and people can just walk in can't they they can just go in uh, yeah yeah so I believe it's a uh, three three pound for adults one pound for kids and then three for members and season stakeholders as well so there you go opportunities wait to watch. is that at the
7: academy i think so yeah i oh, know it's free at the academy oh is it yeah okay. you can right. walk
1: in at the academy just make sure you bring some id right. walk, walk in with some id at the academy uh wandering enjoy watching some fantastic young footballers uh, and some fantastic young contributors thanks to glenn thanks to josh let's crack on Red uh, Red's Bet chat, uh, Red'sBet.com. If you are interested in uh, shifting gambling provider, uh, if it's not for you, it's not for you. That's absolutely fine. And always be gamble aware. Fifty percent of their profits goes to fan related Liverpool fan related courses at Red's Bet. I've got Andy McCann with me to have a little chat about it. And there's this one they keep doing on the Red's Bet site. There's one they keep doing. It's on every week, and I rarely mention it. But there's me, me heads in it. This one, Allison to save a penalty, twenty four to one. And I've got something in my head that Leicester, Leicester are the sort of side that get a penalty at Anfield. Yeah, they buzz around the box, Vardy's Vardy, pace nippy. loves, goes down easily. That's absolutely fine, by the way. Damari Gray, that sort of player. Maybe even this new Harvey Barnes character, James Madison, if need be. I don't know, I've has got in my head they could get a pen, Leicester. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying Alisson will save it. I just think they could get a pen. No, no, I, th- I think you're dead
0: right. Madison's got a penalty in him, money. not uh, Vardy's nippy round. There. If Lovren plays... I think I'd be, I think I'd be in that. But and also, as Alison, have we had a pen against us yet? No, he, no, that's what I mean. I, I, or, well, he's not saved one yet. No, no, I can't recall him not saving one. So, but no, I'd have a bit of that. Yeah, what is it?
1: Twenty-five to 24 one? twenty-four to one. Twenty-four. I'll have a little tender on that. Twenty-four is quite nice on that one. Yeah, it's just in my head. Normally, as I say, that's there every week, listeners, and I never say it because I never think it. Uh, but this week, I, I do. I've. It's been in my mind. It's that balancing act, though. Of going get one because you're almost in cut, you're thinking get a penalty and then the. Fine line between them saving it or not. Um, there is, in general, I'm, it, it feels a long way off the Leicester game, Andy. But I'm, firstly, I'm excited about it. But secondly, you know, I'm, it looks as though Puel will still be Leicester manager by the time they come. Yeah. I think it's, it's in many senses almost the perfect game after, after Palace. Without being complacent about it, you know, they're a good side. I think it almost helps that they're a good side and that they've got to play a little bit of football for the for, for their own sake.
0: Yeah, they'll come and have a little go, won't they? And you know, the players we spoke about potentially getting a penalty, Madison. Um, Vardy, they will come out and attack. He won't sit in. Uh, That could be the death of him in the long run. The fact that he can't adapt and go and sit in. But no, I think it's a it's a perfect game for us just to bounce back, uh, as you say, bounce back off a win, but after the madness, yeah, it's a bit mad isn't it because it feels like it was back, even to to say it was back to last year's madness. We you know we had a great year last year, so it wasn't madness at all. But it's been a bit devoid of the Liverpool we've got used to over the last six months in it, but no, I think it's a good one. Come back, um, nice open game. I think we'll win comfortably, but maybe with a little last minute penalty when we're three 0 up and the big man saves you a little the,
1: bit of that. The, well, yeah, he'd love that. Uh, everyone chant his name like when he came out the box and then and then made the save. Um, other one that I quite like uh, that's in there is the idea of Liverpool to win both halves against Leicester, uh, that's eight to five. And that's one that I, again, that f- makes me feel that's the way the match may well go.
0: Yeah. I'm a, I, it, When I do bet, I, I tend to bet a bit seriously, you know, with like not massive stakes, but short odds. And I might do a double. I very, yeah. very rarely do more than a treble. So the likes of eight to fives are really appealing to me and that, Sort of, you know, a goal early on and then a goal just after half time, kill it. To win both halves, not to score in both halves, no, it's no, to win both so, halves. I think we'll win to nil anyway, so I think I think we'll win three nil. So I think one in the first half, couple in the second, and I think, it, yeah, I think eight to five is a good price.
1: Uh, Aldo's done a pick for the weekend's cup games. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, he's done, because normally Aldo plays quite safe, but he's got a 13 to one shot, and this is it. It's three homes. Swansea are home to Gillingham. Uh, it's not three homes. Sorry, it's 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 two homes in a way. Swansea at home to Gillingham. Yeah. Derby away at Accrington. He's done that. But his other one he's done is he's done Millwall at home to Everton. Thirteen to one.
0: <sighs> oh, he's just put a bit of needle in there, hasn't he? He's just gone at the Blues there. Yeah, I think the first two. I think Everton will, will, will win away there, or, or, or they won't get beat. Um, but I fancy Derby. I've got a bit of an affiliation with Derby. My stepdad is a Derby season ticket holder, so kind of pay a lot of attention to that to them they're to playing well
1: so yeah, I it's think a different that's... challenge for them. I think we're going to have a chat about this in the Friday show, I suppose, in a minute. But it's a different challenge for them. I think at Accrington in that this season the, the the big cup performances have all been them as the underdog, yeah. whereas to go to Accrington and be very much the bigger club and that's where the Frank Lampard's Derby County thing it might count against them a little bit. I think I think they could be in for an awkward afternoon at Accrington. If not, if, if I still expect them to to come away with the victory.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I th- I don't know if it's just kind of round there but Accrington's become everyone's like you know a team to get behind, haven't you? And I think it's a bit of you know going back to the old advert and. I I think everyone will be looking for Accenton to cause an upset there and that's another pressure in itself
1: indeed indeed so it's RedsBet.com if you want to uh, get involved with what they're up to uh, they're our partners at the Anfield Rap um, so they've been there over there RedsBet.com for them uh, thank you very much indeed to Andy and uh, whatever you do be gamble aware I'm here with Jordan Janet Bryan of the Football Fans Podcast now those of you subscribed to the Anfield Rap will know that we talk to Jordan about Arsenal but we're not doing that here I've just done the Football Fans Podcast with Jordan really pleased to be invited down and be part of it and it's I think, and you've not had this conversation when we were doing this for the first time on air. Mm-hmm. I think you're doing this because you're
8: committed to getting different voices talking about football. 100 percent. 100 percent. I started this uh, three years ago now because I noticed I was watching a lot of good football programs um, on and listening to them on radio as well, but they were always with ex-pros, journalists or in inverted commas, experts. And I just thought the dynamic from fans is not necessarily better or worse, but different. And I think that there's a dynamic with fans talking about football that is raw and it's unfiltered because they've got no agendas. Well, apart from maybe club biases, <laughs> but they, they, but they, 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 they count.
4: They, 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 they do, they
8: do. But I just thought, wouldn't it be good to have a, a show that has articulate, intelligent, knowledgeable? And in the main, unbiased football fans talking about football, not just their club, but football. And in so far, it's been, it's, it's going well. It's noticeable for me. You're, you're trying to make it a bit more
1: issue-driven, yeah. you know? and what I say by issue isn't like as though the, the, you know, trying to create huge talking points. But instead, rather than just sort of using the weekend's games not to sort of discuss that game, mm-hmm. but to use that game as a, as a jumping-off point. So for instance, as we've just talked about Arsenal, uh, Tottenham Stadium, mm-hmm. and the Tottenham Stadium mm-hmm. issue, as one example. There's the idea more of sort of taking the temperature, taking the pulse
8: of where a side is, rather than the idea of sort of going, they went great at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, because there are so many good podcasts out there that either focus, like yours does, on a particular club, and there are other podcasts that are more football-based, but generally tend to focus on previewing and reviewing games, and they do that very, very well. So if I'm going to be, be different or stand out or form my own audience, I think to myself, okay, well, how do you forge your own... St- Imprint on on the on the football podcast market. Why don't we talk less about football games and more about some of the issues that I I find interesting? Those issues, I think the
1: because and I think that's why it's interesting to get different voices to chime in. For totally. instance, I didn't raise, although there was part of me that was desperate to. Uh, I just merely hinted at Everton uh, whilst you were talking about the Tottenham Stadium. Yeah. But that there is, you know, again the, the the Tottenham Stadium example should be a salient warning in a sense to Everton when you did talk oh, about really. Arsenal with us. You mentioned. Uh, I mentioned Cronkite in the, in the in the context of Hicks and Gillette. Mm-hmm. That we don't know that yet, but more sort of having those concerns. I think that's that's where I think that idea of sort of getting different voices in, because we've all had different footballing things
8: happen to us. Brilliant. That's where you can pull it together, exactly. And I think that once you bring all those different viewpoints, experiences, and and opinions into a pot, as long as they can be backed up and they're not just ranting or they're not just regurgitating top lines from Sky Sports or TalkSport. Um, it makes for a good discussion. It makes for a progressive discussion where you get... I always learn from the people that come on my show because they'll tell me information or they'll, they'll make an opinion or a viewpoint that I would be actually, yeah, that's, a, that's not a bad point. Actually, I might even change my opinion on something. So I think if you source out good football fans and have good issues to discuss, nine times out of 10, it makes for a very good and progressive discussion about football. It can be funny, it can be serious, it can be deep, it can be provocative but it's always interesting
1: I'd point out as well that I think your show I mean I know for a fact for my first sentence here your show is more diverse than ours is uh, us being from Liverpool you recording this in London central London yeah and that feels again like something that you're very committed to I'm using ours as an example but I think it's probably fair to say the vast majority of football broadcasting could really do with having a good long look at
8: this, a good long think about the way in which they're allowing different voices with 100%, different backgrounds. One hundred percent. For me, football, it's gonna sound a bit airy fairy now, but football's everybody's game. Yeah. Everyone loves football no matter where you come from, no matter what your accent is, no matter what your you know what your colour is. And also we made a big mistake in the first season of doing the FFP where we tended to focus just on the top six teams and maybe the bottom three teams. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, if you support a team that's 10th or 11th or 12, if you're a fan of that team, why would you listen to my podcast? Why? You wouldn't. You, n- you never talk about my team. So, why? so I thought, first of all, we've got to encompass fans from all up and down the league but secondly the diversity point on my podcast is important because we do get different accents different people from all over the world and this this uh, calendar year I've decided we failed this week but my, my, target, <laughs> my target this week is to make sure that every single week on the phone or in person we have a female on the podcast because there are some great football writers that are female out there there are hundreds of good uh, female uh, fans out there it can get a bit tense on my podcast and a little, some of the guys don't hold back but there are some girls Natasha Henry, who I know does some stuff on your one, she can take it and she can give it out. So Absolutely. why not get her on? So um, yeah, so diversity is important. I think the industry could do with diversifying itself as well. Is there... um? When you're looking to do all of this, are you looking for new people, more people to come and contribute are, 100%. Are you? One hundred percent eager. How should people get in touch? Get hit us up. So we're on we're on Twitter, so F uh, Football Fans Pod, we're on Instagram, Football's Podcast, and also Facebook as well. Um, you can email me at Jordan at JustJordanMedia.com And if you want to come on, if you've got something to say about your team, if you've got suggestions for talking points, get in touch, and let us know. And it's better if they're in person. I mean it's one thing the good thing about London well, there's lots of good things about London, not even I can
1: make that joke. But the <laughs> the the good thing about you doing it in London in this instance is that there can be from all all around the country and if you know if, if they happen to be in London we'll the if, they're, if they're like me where I've just come,
8: come down on a Monday night you can pop in exactly we'll, we'll, we'll get you on whether you're in London or, or not and it's a beauty of having you in London this week we've had you on a handful of times down the phone yeah. and because you're very conversational very, you, 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 and quite a combative guy what that, <laughs> well, you are and, and the fact that you're down the phone I always, feels, I always feels disadvantaged to you because you can't see the facial anyway, Jordan. don't worry <laughs> it's a bit unfair for the person on the phone because you can't you can't pick up the cues so when you're in the studio you're much more involved and you can can defend your corner more so we prefer to be in the studio but if you're not in the studio we're more than happy to have you on the phone Uh, where should people listen Uh, Football Fans Podcast we're on iTunes we're on Spotify we're on all of your uh, regular uh, podcast outlets check us out tell a friend Tell a friend indeed. It's it's a fabulous podcast made up to have had the
1: opportunity to do it. Very much enjoy doing it on the phone. Do enjoy being combative. I mean, I'm not that combative on the Anfield <laughs> Rapid Times on the whole. I tend out to, to be the host and be reserved. I enjoy I enjoy a bit of a scrap. Check it out. It's the Football Fans Podcast. Take it easy. Always great to speak to Jordan. Uh, check out his podcast if you get the opportunity to do so. I am back with Adam Mealy, Lizzie Doyle and John Milburn. Um, John, you read the long article, really, that Peter Moore did with the Business Insider the first thing I took from it was a change in tone from the last time you've seen anything that's that, that's quite long from, from, from Peter Moore. And I think it is just tone or emphasis as much as the essence of it. I think, you know, at, at the Anfield Rap, I do think we try to give footballers, football managers and football people the benefit of the doubt. And this is an opportunity to do that. It seems to me that, you know, the club and the Deloitte thing that's come out this week, I think Liverpool are, are maybe in a, a place to better articulate Let's phrase it that way: the relationship between success on the pitch and what constitutes success off it, which is a feeling of 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 of, of togetherness.
4: Yeah, I, I think I, I was I was probably slightly less enthusiastic about the the, the article from the point of view that um, I think the, the Deloitte stuff's great. We've gone from ninth to seventh in the, in the money league. I think if you read that, really interestingly we. We made as much money from TV as Real Madrid did, two hundred and fifty-three million, which is like um, with the two joint top from TV money with those with those, and we made something like ninety-one million, I think, from from gate revenue. And Everton made nineteen. Sorry, I feel like I am going about Everton today, yeah. but uh, but um, so the the, the clubs in rude health, and we know that they're likely to announce the first club to have over a hundred million. Euro profit. And so the club is really in rude health and on the pitch things are looking spectacular. The article that we're referring to, sort of, Peter Moore talks about how there's a challenge of engaging the next generation of fans. And the next, gen- when he talks about the next generation of fans, I don't think he means the 10s and 12 and 13-year-olds who live in the L5 postcode office. mention
1: it within the article.
4: Well, my read on it was that he, he was, it was less about those people and it was more about there's this global audience and you're competing for their leisure time with things like Fortnite and computer games and millennials and... Um, Willingness to sit on a couch for ninety minutes—he makes reference to how how people's leisure time is really really, and we've got to now find ways to use technology to engage those um, those audiences. And talking about the next generation of fans in a very much sort of macro global audience level, and I. And, and, so, and, and this, this might sound like an old broken record, but part of the reason why we've got an age gap in our support has been decades of underinvestment in the stadium, and that's not Peter Moore's fault. It's my broken
2: record.
4: Sorry, <laughs> I borrowed the broken <laughs> record from and a gift from, from 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 Adam. And the the reason why we've got a disengaged youth locally is more about access and pricing and all those topics that we discussed loads and loads of times.
1: I think there is. There'll always be, Adam, the core question. There'll there'll, there'll always be different questions that Liverpool, the club, have got to approach. But one of them will be, literally... Get numbers of people into the ground. And what, and this is one of the things that makes Liverpool unique, I think, to some degree. Often, I think we have a problem, which is that we generalize, we decide to generalize our problems as football's problems, whereas I don't think that they necessarily are. I think Liverpool have a, their own set of unique circumstances to deal with and to work through. And that's partially the culture of the football club as, as it is when it arrives. It's partially the culture of the city. It's partially the environment that find it finds itself in. But there is something absolutely slap bang in the middle, which is more people need to be able to watch Liverpool in the flesh. Yes, and
4: I... Th- Have you ever made that point to Peter Moore? No, I've
2: made it, sort of. I think he knows what I'm getting at. Um, I thought that that was sort of going to be Peter Moore's job, you see. That's why I keep sending him that GIF. And I'm still not sure whether what whether it is, whether I'm sending... You know, it might be one of them where he needs to send me a reply and say, it's not actually me that should be sorting this, uh, you know, the Anfield Road extension and whatever comes next out. Uh I don't know, I, and and you, you went to Johnny first, and I, and I knew when you did that that Johnny was going to say a lot of the same things that I I think because that that's kind of the same as me. I sort of I, I don't know. I just there's 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 so much of it which is like kryptonite to me. You know when they sort of kind of talking about you know data collection and if you like if if you like Genie Weinfeldum that he's going to flood you your inbox with Genie Wijnaldum flavored I don't know what socks yeah. But you know, it's it, it it like running it like um like 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 a like an election campaign or something like that, where you're getting targeted advertising. It, it feels like it's they're, they're trying the they're trying a really roundabout way to get more fans. And actually, what Liverpool should be doing is getting better at footy and selling the idea of selling the idea of, of Liverpool internationally, which is what he's talking about. But in the way of so so we we, we think too nationally sometimes. Liverpool is a, is an internationally attractive thing, and it needs to be. It, it, it basically it should it should be trying to be the you know the Barcelona of, of of England or whatever where where people go to that city like people come to Liverpool, people go to Barcelona to go on holiday and then they want to go and, and and watch Messi and you know go to the new Camp and look at the trophy yeah. room and things like that. That that feels like the, the the thing that we need to be able to do as well as. Getting people to experience the thing that Liverpool's famous for, which isn't so much messy. It's it's the it's the thing of Anfield and to and enable the thing of Anfield to keep being what it is, but that again everyone I'll else say, needs to be able to get in.
1: But again, well again I'll say so put the capacity thing to one side. Again, yeah. he does say that in the piece. And and there is no, he does is... say in the piece he finishes, and, and I agree with what he
2: says. That he finishes off by saying that, that he needs people around the world to be able to access that that thing. Um, but it's, it, you know, and, 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 and his problem is that he's in danger of being the, the person that killed the goose that laid the golden egg, isn't he? Because if you if, if you sort of, if, if you if you destroy that by just letting kind of everyone else in, then the atmosphere's not there anymore kind of thing. But, but, so but it is, it's a balancing act. It is,
1: but that's, I think for the first time, I think it was phrased in a manner of, not for the first time, that'd be the wrong way to phrase it, but... I think for, it was one of the best examples and why I liked it and liked the interview and liked the way in which it went as an exchange was it seemed to me the best at sort of saying, yeah, this is the tightrope that we walk. Not giving it a big one about, I used to watch them in the, when I was 20 and all this sort of stuff and don't worry about me, I'm the real deal, Lizzie. But it seemed to me to say, yeah, this is, this isn't that straightforward. There's a lot of things we're trying to do. We don't just see our competition as being the thing that happens on the pitch, but we know that on pitch success is absolutely massive for us to succeed in terms of, Want to command people's attention and time, and be at the centre of people's lives, and I think that's a. I thought it was quite a rich point that he makes within there, and I think that it's a piece. It's a, it's a point that. You know, I can appreciate. I don't think it's as you know. Don't get me wrong. I will always demand more of Liverpool from the point of view of you know. As soon as the if they do the Annie Road, the day they finish the Any Road, I'm going to be saying, right, you need to make the cop well bigger now. And they'll probably be thinking, God, don't we get a day off? And I'll be going, No, you don't, because no, that it looks daft now. Yeah, because that's but also it's the responsibility. If you want to take it on, you take it on b- yeah, bells and whistles. Yeah. But that's the point, isn't it? That he, if for me, it was a good articulation of this is the tightrope that has to be walked.
3: Yeah, and I think it's quite hard sometimes for us as fans to to read. An interview like that, I'm gonna say hard because, like Johnny, was so emotionally attached to this idea of of the club dropping prices so these fans can actually get in in the first place. Um, and I'm I'm actually gonna sit here and say as much as the the interview is very interesting, and I understand he has to think that way. That to be honest, that's just starting points. That's it. That's just starting point is is getting those fans in to begin with because you can do all the targeting that you want, but if you can't get in, what's the use? You can't
4: afford it. But What's his, the his, use? His audience, the, the, my, my issue with it, and I don't have a massive issue with it because I think Neil's right to say, is articulating the, the challenge you've got when you've got a global opportunity. And that's what they've genuinely got a global opportunity. And they see that their reach digitally is as big as any of the football brands in the world. But it and, it, and he's got an opportunity to take money from kids in America. And I think the point where he says, uh, so I think if you live in America and you want to come and see a Liverpool game, you can do it. It costs a lot of money, but yeah. you can do it. There are there are avenues for that to happen. I don't think there is anywhere near enough avenues for kids that live in L postcodes to be able to go to the match on a regular basis. Yeah. And the natural conclusion to that argument is in 20 years' time, the ground will be full of people my age and People who are there on a day out, and, well, that, and that can't be—that distresses the product that, that Adam talks about. Has just been... about
3: to say that. So what I will say is that you know I, I've been to Barcelona as, as a tourist, and the the tightrope he's talking about is he has to you know to sell this global product. He's 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 marketing but, it based on what you know happens locally, based on the atmosphere. You take that away, you're taking away but, what you're actually trying to market worldwide. Can, can we
1: have a chat about regular basis? because it's, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was so slightly playing devil's advocate here, but I'm not entirely in that. I think the best thing that could happen to Liverpool Football Club is the thing that will never, ever happen, which is you abolish season tickets tomorrow. And you say you do not just get an automatic right, no matter how much you pay up front to go to every single game. I've got a season ticket, so by the way, this is, this is this is a hypocritical point, but you've got to go through the rigmarole of buying individual tickets for games. And if you want to get greater access and different people into that ground, the first way in which you shift the access question is, the fellow who's been going since 1963, Noel has to work a little bit harder to get his ticket. Yeah, I'll, I'll, And then we'd say, but that's not fair, Johnny. We'd say that's not fair. We'd say, so it could be easier now for someone who's 23, who's got a, an all-rightest job in town, to be able to sit in the lower centenary or the lower kenny, whatever it's called, and watch the game than it is for me. Right now, because I've got a ticket that allows me every single week without me doing any work whatsoever access into going in and watching Liverpool. But we ne- will never abolish season tickets.
4: No, and 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 all you 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 posited. I know you're not being entirely serious. That the easiest way to do it would be that. The easiest way to do it would be to spend the money to make the ground the size it yeah. needs to be because the reason that Barcelona has reached the point that the, Adam talked about is that they've got
2: and so have Man United by
1: the yeah, way yeah. it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be no, 100 yeah. million
4: but let's but, but, let, 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 let but let these the
1: ways to do it for the start of the 2019-20 season
4: okay I just
1: think that'd make it I just think it'd make it crap though Neil I think it'd make it make- well Adam and me are buying tickets and we're sitting next to each other at the ground there's eight of us together because we can sort that out because we can all go and apply for tickets and we can say we, we want to sit in these locations we, we're but creating an
3: atmosphere it's not going to be as easy as that why
1: not it's, that, it's easy like that for all but other because events you're looking, at,
3: like, you're looking at lines getting jammed and stuff Like we, 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 you <laughs> we know, can't organise a member no, sale <laughs> no, never mind I was just going to say a member sale I've been there with my priority on a card and I still can't get there on a member sale never mind
1: but, t- but see tickets but hang on but see tickets can sell a million. T- can, sorry, can deal with a million people trying to buy tickets 250,000 tickets for Glastonbury the technology exists but
3: I don't want, want it comp- to be potluck with people who, who only go to one game a season I don't want to be in that potluck with people who, who just go do you know what actually I'm just going to go for that one Weekend. But you do, do want to be included with them.
1: But you do want to get greater access for people who currently can't get access to tickets without postcodes, and that's rock hard.
3: Yeah, it is. What what, is, what it will give the club credit for is the 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 movement that they've done with the with the upper main. Um, you know, they, they put a, they, they put a couple of. About 500 seats, and I've been a good couple of times, and it and what they've actually really cracked down on it as well, and, and it's a really good move. It's nine pounds a ticket. You've got to have an L postcode. And you've also got to physically pick them up at the ground, and sometimes they even check, like the and someone stopped me um, and said, "Are you actually from Liverpool?" And I got quite offended. I was thinking, I, "I'm addressed like a bit of a
2: what yeah. time is it, love?"
3: Yeah, <laughs> like, do, do, you, do I look like I'm from London or something like that? For no offence to London, but so they, they're making a little bit of movements, but I, I, I don't like this idea of scrapping. No, stuff and, and
1: but I'm saying I'm saying that the best way, genuinely, like it's this thing. There's always this thing that people say. I'd love to take my kid to the match. I've got a season ticket to am in the cop. I'd love to take the kid to the match. And you know what? The fellow next to me, would like to as well. Well, there's it's a solution the, here, lads. The there's funny, a solution. The funny thing is, is that I think I think what you do there is you you make you make it
2: into a a, a different thing. It becomes a different thing because the reason the reason that Anfield is as it is which is not always amazing is that there's a lot of uh, there's there's a, there's a there's a lot of sort of duty about it and so you know uh, uh, there's there's been tons of times where you know as i say where, when we 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 we're, we're not in this uh, you know, um, unbelievable situation where we are this season, where it's, it, you're looking forward to your, to your afternoon out, but you're not necessarily looking forward to, 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 to the, the, the match. But you, it's the routine of the thing is what has made it the thing that it is. And so you, you, you could take that away, but then you would be taking away that the, 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 the thing that
1: makes it the amazing thing it is
2: on the rare occasion it is amazing.
1: I agree with that. And I think that that's that's where this sort of argument ends up. Like, But also there's something else here, which is that I don't want to give my season ticket up. But I think it's quite difficult, genuinely, to to stand uh, a conversation around access when we... And if I was listening to this and I wasn't one of the people who was lucky enough to A, live in Liverpool, and B, have a season ticket to turn up every single week. If I was one of the... I'd think, hang on, you're talking about access, but you're the ones who've got it and you're the ones who get to keep it, and you're the ones who actually block it. You know, if there's days where you don't want to go, or there's people listening, people akin to us who have days where they can't be bothered going, but they're the ones who are blocking other people from going. They're the ones who are blocking other not just other people with L postcodes, though other people with L postcodes, yeah, yeah. but other people worldwide, they're blocking them from going. If they, So for instance, let's say they cut the ticket price, and now it's 20 quid a ticket, and there's more people who want to go. But... We're still blocking. We're still, we're the ones. So they cut the ticket price. It's, it ends up 20 quid, but it's still season ticket holders who see their prices cut because, and now we're paying less money, but it's season ticket holders who are still literally sitting in the seats.
4: But Neil, I'm not into the idea that all of a sudden the, the access problems now. I've, <laughs> I'm creating the access problem by going. But if you look at that at top 20, Deloitte top 20 rather, there's only Everton and Chelsea who've got smaller grounds than Liverpool in that top ten. Yep, I agree. So we're, we're punching up. We've got all this money apparently. When we've we've elevated our states with all this cash, and we've we've got the most throttle, more demand than Chelsea, more demand than Everton, and with more demand than Newcastle. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I I'd would argue say, more demand than Manchester United. I
2: would, I would, I would, I would take your deal uh, if you would give me a larger standing cup that you could have a pint in.
1: I'm, I, will, I would I would do that, and that 's exactly. one of the reasons why I'd like the club to actually be leading on on the issue and, question us, there. 16, and yeah. I would also like the, and also genuinely i'd like and, the club and, to have twenty thousand seats and i think yeah. if, and I think if you're asking me what creates your what actually creates the utopia that we think we want it is the idea that there 's twenty thousand more seats that you can move around the ground that there 's a, a substantial cop standing section, if not the entirety of it and there's the idea what therefore if, that you then you wouldn't need season tickets because anyone who wants to go will be able to go uh, 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 and then more casual people will go more women would go well and, and, and that's I guess what Peter Moore
2: is getting at but he hasn't actually said it is that the the reason that people do any leisure activities is for what what it what it is when you're there and you know but that, that's what he needs to be doing he, he, never mind fortnight he needs to be talking about how, how we we can make the experience of going to the match like the thing that it should be which is the time with your friends when you know where, where everyone's together and you can have a
1: bevy uh, why is the concourse better than the match
2: because you can meet with your friends and you can have a bevy
1: it's been the weekend it's been fantastic Adam Amelia Lizzie Doyle Johnny Milburn uh, we didn't talk about anything that we said we were going to talk about but then that's the way in which it goes some weeks <laughs> see you in a bit
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.